Welcome to Campfire Tales, your fortnightly fireside story. The Sea Maiden, written by Joseph Jacobs and read by David White. There was once a poor old fisherman, and one year he was not getting much fish. On a day of days, while he was fishing, there rose a sea maiden at the side of his boat, and she asked him, Are you getting much fish? The old man answered and said, Not I. What reward would you give me for sending plenty of fish to you? Ah, said the old man, I have not much to spare. Will you give me the first son you have? She said. I would give you that, were I to have a son, he said. Then go home and remember me when your son is twenty years of age and you yourself will get plenty of fish after this. Everything happened as the sea maiden said and he himself got plenty of fish. But when the end of the twenty years was nearing, the old man was growing more and more sorrowful and heavy-hearted while he counted each day as it came. He had rest neither day nor night the son asked his father one day, Is anyone troubling you? The old man said, Someone is, but that's not to do with you, nor anyone else. The lad said, I must know what it is. His father told him at last how the matter was with him and the sea maiden. Let not that put you in any trouble, said the son. You shall not go, my son. Though I never get fish any more. If you will not let me go with you, go to the smithy, let the smith make me a great strong sword, and I will go and seek my fortune. His father went to the smithy, and the smith made a doofy sword for him. His father came home with the sword. The lad grasped it and gave it a shake or two, and it flew into a hundred splinters. He asked his father to go to the smithy and get him another sword, in which there should be twice as much weight. And so his father did, and so likewise it happened to the next sword. It broke in two half. Back went the old man to the smithy, and the smith made a great sword. It's like he never made before. There's the sword for thee, said the smith. And the fist must be good that plays this blade. The old man gave the sword to his son. He gave it a shake or two. This will do, said he. It's high time now to travel on my way. On the next morning he put a saddle on a black horse that his father had. And he took the world for his pillow. When he went on a bit he fell in with the carcass of a sheep beside the road. And there were a great black dog, a falcon, and an otter, and they were quarrelling over the spoil. So they asked him to divide it for them. He came down with the horse and he divided the carcass amongst the three. Three shares to the dog, two shares to the otter, and a share to the falcon. For this, said the dog, if swiftness of foot or sharpness of tooth will give thee aid. Mind me, and I will be at thy side. Said the otter, If swimming of foot on the ground of a pool will lose thee, 
Mind me, and I will be by thy side. Said the falcon, If hardship comes on thee, where swiftness of wing or crook of claw will do good, mind me, and I will be by thy side. On this he went onward, till he reached a king's house, and he took service to be a herd, and his wages were to be according to the milk of the cattle. He went away with the cattle, and grazing was but bare. In the evening, when he took them home, there was not much milk. The place was so bare, and his meat and drink was but spare that night. On the next day he went on further with them, and at last he came to a place exceedingly grassy, and a green glen of which he saw the like. But about that time, when he would drive the cattle homewards, who should he see coming but a great giant with a sword in his hand? Hi ho ho Garak, said the giant. Those cattle are mine. They're on my land, and a dead man art thou. I say not that, said the herd. There is no knowing, but that may be easier to say than to do. He drew the great clean sweeping sword and neared the giant. The herd drew back his sword, and the head was off the giant in a twinkling. He leaped on the black horse and went to look for the giant's house. In went the herd, and that's the place where there was money in plenty, and dresses of every kind in the wardrobe with gold and silver, and each thing finer than the other. At the mouth of the night he took himself to the king's house, but he took not a thing from the giant's house, and when the cattle were milked this night there was milk. He got a good feeling this night, meat and drink without stint, and the king was hugely pleased that he caught such a herd. He went on for a time in this way, but at last the glen grew bare of grass and the grazing was not so good, so he thought he would go a little further forward in on the giant's land, and he sees a great park of grass. He returned for the cattle and he put them into the park. They were but a short time grazing in the park, when a great wild giant came full of rage and madness. Hi ho hogarak, said the giant. It is a drink of thy blood that will quench my thirst this night. There is no knowing, said the herd, but that's easier to say than to do. And at each other went the men. There were shaking of blades, at length and at last it seemed as if the giant would get the victory over the herd. Then he called on the dog, and with one spring the black dog caught the giant by the neck, and swiftly the herd struck off his head. He went home very tired that night, but it's a wonder if the king's cattle had not milk. The whole family was delighted that they had got such a herd. Next day he betakes himself to the castle, when he reached the door, a little flattering carling met him standing in the door. All hail and good luck to thee, fisher's son. Tis I myself am pleased to see thee. Great is the honour for this kingdom. For thy like to be come into it. Thy coming in is fame for this little bothy. Go in first, honour to the gentles. Go on and take breath. In before me, thou crone. 
I like not flattery out of doors. Go in and let's hear thy speech. In went the crone, and when her back was to him, he drew his sword and whips her head off. But the sword flew out of his hand, and swift the crone gripped her head with both hands and puts it on her neck as it was before. The dog sprang on the crone, and she struck the generous dog with a club of magic, and there he lay. But the herd struggled for a hold of the club of magic, and with one blow on the top of the head, she was on earth in the twinkling of an eye. He went forward, up a little, and there was spoil. Gold and silver, and each thing more precious than the other in the crone's castle. He went back to the king's house, and there was rejoicing. He followed herding in this way for a time, but one night after he came home, instead of getting all hail and good luck from the dairymaid, all were at crying and woe. He asked what cause of woe there was that night. The dairymaid said, There is a great beast with three heads in the lock, and it must get someone every year. And the lot has come this year on the king's daughter. And at midday tomorrow she is to meet the laidly beast at the upper end of the lock. But there is a great suitor yonder who is going to rescue her. What suitor is this? said the herd. Oh, he's a great general of arms, said the dairymaid. And when he kills the beast he will marry the king's daughter. For the king has said that he who would save his daughter should get to marry her. But on the morrow, when the time grew near, the king's daughter and this hero of arms went to give a meeting to the beast, and they reached the black rock at the upper end of the loch. They were but a short time there when the beast stirred in the midst of the loch, but when the general saw this terror of a beast with three heads, he took fright and slunk away and hid himself. And the king's daughter was under fear and under trembling, with no one at all to save her. Suddenly she sees a doughty, handsome youth riding a black horse and coming where she was. He was marvellously arrayed and full-armed, and his black dog moved after him. There is gloom on your face, girl, said the youth. What do you hear? Oh, there's no matter, said the king's daughter. It's not long I'll have here at all events. I say not that, said he. A champion fled as likely as you, and not long since, said she. He is a champion who stands the war, said the youth. And to meet the beast he went with his sword and his dog, but there was a spluttering and a splashing between himself and the beast. The dog kept doing all he might, and the king's daughter was palsied with fear of the noise of the beast. One of them would now be under, and now above, but at last he cut one of the heads off it. It gave one roar, and the son of earth, echo of the rocks, called to its screech, and it drove the lock in spindrift from end to end, and in twinkling it went out of sight. "'Good luck and victory follow you, lad,' said the king's daughter. "'I am safe for one night,' But the beast will come again and again until the other two heads come off it. He caught the beast's head and drew a knot through it. And he told her to bring it with her there tomorrow. 
She gave him a gold ring and went home with the head on her shoulder, and the herd betook himself to the cows. But she had not gone far when this great general saw her, and he said to her, I will kill you if you do not say twas I took the head off the beast. Oh, says she, tis I will say it, who else took the head off the beast but you? They reached the king's house, and the head was on the general's shoulder. But here was rejoicing, and she should come home alive and whole, and this great captain with the beast's head full of blood in hand. On the morrow they went away, and there was no question at all but that this hero would save the king's daughter. They reached the same place, and they were not long there when the fearful, laidly beast stirred in the midst of the lock and the hero slunk away as he did on yesterday. But it was not long after this, when the man on the black horse came with another dress on. No matter, she knew that it was the same very lad. It is I am pleased to see you, said she. I am on hope she will handle your great sword today, as you did yesterday. Come up and take breath. But they were not long there when they saw the beast steaming in the midst of the lock. At once he went to meet the beast, but there was Klupashik and Klapashik, spluttering, splattering, and raving. We kept at it thus for a long time, and about the mouth of the night he cut another head off the beast. He put it on the knot and gave it to her. She gave him one of her earrings, and he leaped on the black horse, and he betook himself to the herding. The king's daughter went home with the heads. The general met her, and took the heads from her, and he said to her that she must tell that it was he who took the head off the beast this time also. Who else took the head off the beast but you? she said. They reached the king's house with the heads. Then there was joy and gladness. About the same time on the morrow, the two went back. The officer hid himself as he usually did. The king's daughter betook herself to the bank of the lock. The hero on the black horse came, and if roaring and raving were on the beast on the days that were past, this day it was horrible. But no matter, he took the third head off the beast and drew it through the knot and gave it to her. She gave him her other earring. And then she went home with the heads. When they reached the king's house, all were full of smiles and the general was to marry the king's daughter the next day. The wedding was going on and everyone about the castle longing till the priest should come. But when the priest came, he would only marry the one who took the heads off the knot without cutting it. Who should take the heads off the knot but the man that put the heads on, said the king. The general tried, but he could not loose them. And at last there was no one about the house but had tried to take the heads off the knot, but they could not. The king asked if there were anyone else about the house that could try to take the heads off the knot. They said that the herd had not tried them yet. Word went for the herd, and he was not long throwing them hither and thither. But stop a bit, my lad, said the king's daughter. The man that took the heads off the beast, he has my ring and two earrings. The herd 
put his hand in his pocket and he threw them on the board. Thou art my man, said the king's daughter. The king was not pleased when he saw it was a herd who was to marry his daughter, but he ordered that he should be put in a better dress. But his daughter spoke and she said he had a dress as fine as any they'd ever seen in his castle. And thus it happened. The herd put on the giant's golden dress and they were married that same day. They were now married and everything went on well. But one day, and it was the namesake of the day when his father had promised him to the sea maiden, they were sauntering by the side of the lock and lo and behold, she came and took him away to the lock without leave or asking. The king's daughter was now mournful, tearful, blind, sorrowful for her married man. She was always with her eye on the lock, an old soothsayer met her, and she told how it had befallen her married mate. Then he told her the thing to do to save her mate, and that she did. She took her harp to the seashore, and sat and played, and the sea maiden came up to listen, for sea maidens are fonder of music than all other creatures. But when the wife saw the sea maiden, she stopped. The sea maiden said, Play on! But the princess said, No, not until I see my man again. So the sea maiden put up his head out of the lock. Then the princess played again and stopped till the sea maiden put him up to the waist. Then the princess played and stopped again. And this time the sea maiden pulled him all out of the lock and he called on the falcon and became one and flew on shore. But the sea maiden took the princess, his wife. Sorrowful was each one that was in town on this night. Her man was mournful, tearful, wandering down and up about the banks of a lock by day and night. The old soothsayer met him. The soothsayer told him that there was no way of killing the sea maiden, but the one way. And this is it. In the island that's in the mist of the lock is the white-footed hind of the slenderest legs and the swiftest step. And though she be caught, there will spring a hoodie out of her. And though the hoodie should be caught, there will spring a trout out of her. But there's an egg in the mouth of the trout and the soul of the sea maiden is in the egg. If the egg breaks, she's dead. Now there was no way of getting to this island, for the sea maiden would sink each boat and raft that would go on the lock. He thought he would try to leap the strait with the black horse, and even so he did. The black horse leaped the strait. He saw the hind and he let the black dog after her. But when he was on one side of the island, the hind would be on the other. Oh, would the black dog of the carcass of flesh were here. No sooner spoke he the word than the grateful dog was at his side, and after the hind he went, and they were not long in bringing her to earth. But he no sooner caught her than a hoodie sprung out of her. Would that the falcon grey of sharpest eye and swiftest wing were here. No sooner said he this than the falcon was after the hoodie, and she was not long putting her to earth. 
and as the hoodie fell on the bank of the loch, out of her jumps the trout. Oh, that thou wert by me now, O otter! No sooner said than the otter was at his side, and out on the loch she leaped and brings the trout from the midst of the loch. But no sooner was the otter on shore with the trout than the egg came from his mouth. He sprang and put his foot on it. "'Twas then the sea-maiden appeared, and she said, "'Break not the egg, and you shall get all you ask. "'Deliver to me my wife.' "'In the wink of an eye she was by his side. "'When he got hold of her hand in both hands, "'he let his foot down on the egg, and the sea-maiden died.' 